Thanks for the memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode 10, The Money Pit, from 1986. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and with us today is someone, and I don't want to make you uh, do a Sophie's Choice here, Mr. Guest. I will introduce you in a second, but I know that there are two Tom Hanks movies that are very, very high up on your all-time favorite movies list. So I want to know which, whether it's this one or Joe vs. the Volcano that you like more. With us today, the co-host of Monkey Club, the now-defunct Monkey Club, hashtag bring back Monkey Club. The legendary Monkey Club, yes. Mr. Christian Larson. Hello, Larson. Hello. It's really a pleasure to be here for this one. This is a movie I grew up with. Uh, when I was young, I, I spent my childhood sitting on shag carpeting, watching movies, whether they were on HBO, TBS, USA, or uh, the WPIX 11 Saturday afternoon movie, which more often than not was The Money Pit. I always say that this movie is a perfect combination of highbrow wit and lowbrow slapstick. And as a kid, the lowbrow slapstick killed me. I laughed my ass off at the antics of the house falling apart. And I get a new appreciation for it every time I watch it. Joe vs. the Volcano is a movie that I discovered recently. Joe vs. the Volcano is a lot deeper, and I'm sure you'll get into all that. I I don't want to waste my time talking about that (laughs) right now, but they're both very much about marriage, and I'm getting married in less than a week, so that's kind of a a great thing about being able to talk about this with you guys. So So this episode comes out a day before your wedding, so this is my wedding gift to you, letting you talk (laughs) about this movie, so I hope that you appreciate this generous, generous gift uh, in your name. I do wonder if, as I I don't want to get too far into your personal life, but as you and your fiancé, soon-to-be bride, ponder a move to the suburbs whether or not you will find a million-dollar home listed for $200,000 and fall down the rabbit hole of dysfunction into eventual uh, married bliss. Well, I mean, you know, we we live in the city right now, and we both know that we're not going to live here forever. Our dream is to own a home in the Hudson Valley uh, with a large backyard where we will keep rescue animals. (laughs) That's not going to happen for a while. But, you know, before that, like this movie, everything about it is a metaphor for a relationship, for a marriage. And sort of the house falling apart and being built back up is not so much a house being built. It's it's their relationship being built. So, you know, I'd like to think that we're about halfway there. So. So this is, I want to, I want to make a, a, a quick, not really a hot take, I don't think, because I think it's a very mild, lukewarm take, but, Mike, I think this is clearly uh, Tom Hanks' best movie to date so far. Best, and also the one that I think is most fun to watch and my, also my favorite, because uh, what we've had so far has been rough. Uh, the next couple movies, I don't know what they are. I've never heard of them. So before we get into that great, great run of his movies in the 90s, there's still a couple movies that I just straight up never heard of. But this one, I think, so far, of the 10 things that we've covered, you know, I might have enjoyed some of Bosom Buddies more, but I'm not going to watch Bosom Buddies again. But this, <laughs> you know, this feels like the best thing he's done, like the most fun things he's done. And like we were talking, you know, in person yesterday, and I don't want to sort of uh, spoil what you're about to say, but it feels like he's sort of locking into Hanks being Hanks. Yeah, that was uh, exactly where I was going to come in, is, like, I finally feel like I know this guy. Like, the previous movies, you know, he's been sort of dealing with more crass material at times, perhaps, or, like, less wholesome stuff. But here we're in this PG, Steven Spielberg-produced, you know, family film that works on multiple levels, as Larson has gone into a bit, but I can only imagine how, how much fun, like, the whole family had at this, with the kids laughing at the slapstick and the parents laughing at, like, the idea of, you know, renovations and all, everything that they get into with that. I happen to uh, be renovating a bathroom right now in two weeks is exactly the answer I got when I asked how long it was going to take. It'll be a month in two days. That's just for a bathroom. But, yeah, I'm, I was so into this movie, like, like, as a kid, but now I was very excited because, yes, this is the Hanks that I recommend recognize and I love and I think um, you know really put uh, a kick in my step watching this movie being like all right I understand what we're doing here now there's a a little bit of a rocky road at first not that there wasn't some fun or anything like that but I feel like we're on the right track now yeah 
I do find a troubling trend in movies and things that we've covered for Hanks for the Memories that he keeps getting kicked out of apartments, suddenly uh, having to find a place to live that both bosom buddies in this movie now, he is thrust upon the street. Um, I just feel bad for young Hanks uh, getting kicked out of his house, getting kicked out of his apartment, either by a bulldozer or like a wrecking ball, or because of a uh, diehard villain moving back into his old apartment. So Yeah, and there's some wrecking ball material going on in this later on too but i thought like there might not be juggling in here but joey you know this and the man in one red shoe they're really tapping into that orchestra profession you know i made a note of that too yeah 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 in this and i also thought of dana barrett from ghostbusters like what was happening in the 80s and professional orchestra people playing like violins and stuff but here we are again, and I don't mind it. I think it works better here, that's for sure. Two other quick 80s connections that I want to sort of get out of the way up top. First of all, as this is the Tom Tom Club, Shelley Long back from Tom Cruise's Losing It. Losing It. Yes, Q Losing It. And also, speaking of Q Losing It, I talked to Mike about this in person yesterday, connection to another 80s movie that all three of us seem to adore, uh, Birdie. There's La Bamba plays. La Bamba plays yes. in this movie, and La Bamba is all over Birdie. And so... <laughs> Q La Bamba. All sorts of weird little 80s connections to all sorts of different movies, uh, but the money pit is the, the tie that binds, the thing that brings us all together into, you know, a, a beautiful a beautiful home, I guess. Yeah, eventually. Well, you guys, uh, you mentioned already uh, this is a uh, Steven Spielberg-produced movie. Kathleen Kennedy is involved as well. And the uh, the director of photography is, I forget the name, but he is... Uh, Gordon Willis. He did the, the Godfather movies, mm-hmm. and he's been Woody Allen's go-to cinematographer forever. Yeah, he did Annie Hall in Manhattan, and I was sort of blowing Mike's mind with that a little bit yesterday. Yeah, like, and All the President's Men, too. Like, he's done, like, some of the best movies that have ever been made, and also The Money Pit. Not that this is not the best movie that's ever been no, made, but... No, but it, it looks great. It's shot it really well. Yeah, that really helps, you know? It, it reminds me of, like, I, I always kind of hear, like, if you want to shoot comedy, you shoot it fast and wide and right and i was like well i don't think that always works for everything and i think this movie is perfect proof of that you shoot it straight like it's shot like any other movie and the rest of it is played off of you know the situation and all that like it's it's got so much sort of trust in itself that it can shoot a nice looking film as well and he's got a lot to work with he's got this big beautiful house and the grounds a lot of a lot of really great uh, locations, even though it's a small, relatively a small space to work with, he's got a lot of great opportunities for good shots. So not only did Gordon Willis shoot this, but also the the writer and the director are of note to things that we have covered here on the network. It was written by David Geiler, I think, who wrote Aliens and Alien 3, both of which have been covered. Alien 3, Mike, by your podcast, Third Times a Charm. Yeah. Aliens covered by The Contenders, and also directed by Richard Benjamin, who directed Mermaids, which Winona Ryder was in for Winona Forever, and also directed Racing with the Moon. Oh, that's right, yeah. Mr. Cage himself. Cajun Penn. So many, so many Cage Club crossovers for this. Truly, truly, truly. So now, Larson, I know that you love this movie, uh, but I'm going to ask you a really difficult, really tough question to kick things off. If you had to pick a favorite moment in this movie, your favorite scene or a favorite sequence, uh, what's your favorite part of The Money Pit? Oh, my goodness. There's really so many. I think the things I love the most about this, as much as I love the, the sort of slapstick montages of the house falling apart, I love the back-and-forth dialogue. It, it brings brings to mind the sort of slapstick Tracy and Hepburn kind of uh, uh, what are they, screwball comedies of the 40s and whatnot and i love at the end we're we're skipping ahead of course but when the house is finally built the two of them come out to sort of determine who's gonna own the house at the end who's gonna take the keys literally gets the keys yes yeah and they they have sort of a back and forth oh wait no 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 it's 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 not the very end but it's right before that and they're they're running around the house yelling at each other. And all of the construction workers are just sort of following them around, listening to it. And they're having this back and forth, and uh, every line is golden. Like, there are so many great lines in this movie, but during this exchange, there's so many. And she says, oh, I can't believe you ever passed the bar. And he says, well, I can't believe you ever passed a bar in your life. And she says, oh, you're you're so much less funny when you're sober. And he says, oh, when I'm sober. And, and he says, well, thank God it's not that often. Just 
like the back and forth is incredible and i love the idea and and this comes up a lot because there's for the last third of the movie there's just construction workers all over the house and they have no privacy and that's kind of a running gag but the fact that they're storming all over the house and the construction workers are watching this as observers and watching this as if it's like a a, a sporting match which it really is and it's just fantastic I agree. I think they're a fantastic duo. Like they have great chemistry. Shelley Long had almost like a kind of for a while like a big comedy career in the eighties, the Troop Beverly Hills and like lots of other things and cheers and she could go toe to toe with pretty much anyone. And I feel like Hanks at this time and her at this time like meet up perfectly. They feel like you said, like those old sort of duos from the forties, but even further back, like Gracie and Allen almost like from like sure, yeah, yeah. radio. Like they just are right on top of each other really well in this movie and yeah they're great and also like i know that it's you know it's entertaining because the repartee is so quick and speedy and full of life and zinger after zinger after zinger but also it's brutal like it is i mean they're not swearing it's keeping in mind it's a pg movie and everything like that but it is you know these are jabs that cut to the core like these are as the kids say savage burns if i don't know i don't know if people have say that or not but you know this is like the end like it feels like the end and then you know the scene that you were sort of referencing a little bit ago larson where they actually you know neither wants the key that's the only place that this could possibly lead to because they are saying things that aside from the fact that they do forgive one another that basically feel unforgivable yeah, absolutely. I mean, this movie goes through, you know, their home ownership goes through all of the phases of a relationship. You know, at, at the beginning, you have this sort of sense of optimism where you're like, all right, this is going to be a lot of hard work, but we're in it together. And then a lot of rough stuff comes up. And sometimes there are really dark moments. And, you know, I was watching this. It's the first time I've seen it in a very long time. Probably the last time I've seen it, I saw it was before I was even with my fiance. And, you know, when when the big crisis comes up, when Hanks believes that she slept with her ex, and, you know, that leads to a lot of distrust, and they're both very stubborn, you know, and that's something that has happened in, in my relationship. It's like, we'll get mad about something and we will both be too stubborn to admit, like, you know what, like, let's just put it in the past. And you see the two of them and, and you want to be like, you know what, just put it to rest and get back together because you guys are too good together. And they work through it. Of course, that, you know, it never happened. We'll, we'll get to that moment, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, it, it's the, the whole thing is, is just a, a relationship arc. And it's done beautifully. When I was a kid, there's that level I've never picked up on that I got very much this time is the whole thing about their relationship, just like uh, her ex coming back and her having to move out of her apartment and Hanks having lived there with her while he was away. Like, it, it's kind of complicated, like what's going on. And then they're not even engaged, but they're buying a house together. Uh, I, f I just found it very... I don't know, fresh? Like, you just don't see this a lot even today in comedies or movies in general. I did enjoy it. And I, you know, the whole thread about her cheating on Hanks and everything, still I'm not sure if that's, like, handled the best as it could have been. Um, but I, it's all, like, this depth that I, you know didn't remember as a kid just as a kid you're just like uh oh they're angry now something happened and things are going wrong and you know you pick up on that but now that i know the context of that like it's just more enjoyable it's just you know i can appreciate it on all of its levels yeah i, re I remember as a kid watching it like i said before like when i was a kid it was the the slapstick stuff that i really appreciated the most but uh, the idea that Hanks's father had left the country, leaving him millions of dollars in debt. The fact that they were both living in the apartment of her ex-husband, and then all of a sudden they had to move out because her ex-husband came back to town. They were all kinds of little subtleties that I missed. And of course, the whole idea of the fact that they were able to buy this house for $200,000, and it was all a big scam. And the woman who's selling it is doing such a casual job of saying, oh, don't use this bathroom, use the one downstairs, you know, I've got personal things in here. And there's like three or four things that she says that seem innocuous at the time, but if you realize that if, you had, if they had done any of those things that they had wanted to do, like question the lights, or wanted to use the bathroom upstairs, or this or that, or whatever, you know, things would have 
shaken out a lot differently. But again, uh, comedy, great little bit there. Mike, what about you? What's your favorite moment in the Money Pit? There's a lot of great stuff that happens with Hanks when, you know, he's trying to fix the house and it's collapsing around him or, you know, he's stuck in like this mousetrap Rube Goldberg freaking like situation where things are flying all over the place. But ever since I first saw this movie and up until today, I do have a distinct favorite moment and I, I just die every time it happens. And uh, it's when Hanks gets stuck in the floor. Mm-hmm. You know, he's coming home from a long day and he sees that after the first day they've completely gutted the house and there's piles everywhere and he's he missed the permit guy, which is a nightmare. And he's standing on a rug and he doesn't notice the hole in the floor and he just starts sinking in it and he gets trapped. And the permit guy shows up and thinks he's laughing at him, but he just can't breathe because he's constricted. And then he talks about how he's been hallucinating and he's like making paper airplanes with his money. And I mean, I was just that that always gets me. So uh, I'm going to give it a clear cut moment tonight and say Hank's stuck in the floor. Sure. I think my favorite moment is also one where the house is beginning to fall apart. I think my favorite moment, I think, well, there's there's two. Um, I really love the Rube Goldberg-esque where she just wants to make tea and that leads to everything falling down around the house. I do love that, especially as a, a fan of Superman 3 from a, a few years earlier. I love a good Rube Goldberg setup in a in a movie. But I think my favorite moment is the, the two-hander of Shelley Long running away from the raccoon while the entire stairwell collapses on Tom Hanks. I just think that those <laughs> two things happening at once and cutting back and forth between the two is just something magical. And then to have Hanks hanging from the second floor and then falling and then giving the chef's kiss from the rubble. Uh, I just love that moment, that back-to-back there, or the, the same all happening at once where, you know, things are going to get a lot worse than that. But I just love how that feels like the first huge thing to happen before, you know, the bathtub falls through and then Hanks loses his mind and he slowly begins to, you know, hallucinate or just, just lose his mind over the course of the movie. Um, but I really do love that little two-pronged bit there. Yeah, when the stairs fall, I mean, the stairs are a very symbolic in the film because the stairs are like a big selling point of, of why they buy the house. And it's kind of the first thing to go. And uh, Hank's laying on the rubble of the stairs and giving that chef kiss is just such an amazing image. And what's amazing to me about that image, and I was, I was saying this a little bit to you yesterday, Mike, but I was trying to find that picture of him giving the kiss from the floor, and I can't find that on Google. Shocking. You know, this, this movie is currently streaming on Stars, um, so I just pulled up Stars on my computer and I did a full screen screenshot, so that's the image that we're using for the image for the, the, for the post on cageclub.me. But there's so many shots of him hanging there. Like, that feels like an iconic, like, look at him, you know, holding on for dear life. But whatever I searched for, I could not find him on the floor. And it just feels like for how great he is in that moment, like utterly helpless and mm-hmm. at a loss and just laying in a pile of rubble, you would think that people would have grabbed that before to use, but I couldn't find it. And I'm, I'm fairly adept at the internet. I'm, everyone is grabbing screenshots of the pissing fountain. That's what's happening. Because that is, <laughs> I remember that being featured as a kid and thinking it was just a riot and a half every time it came up. But yeah, I also love when the stairs are rebuilt and he's sort of like running up and down the stairs a little bit and, is, and he's ecstatic. And, and just how like the, the workmen are just like uh, with the water and he's like, you want water? You got water. And like, they just don't tell them when shit's fixed. Like it just appears you know, like the stairs, like no one told him you have stairs now. Oh yeah, he's so excited, like he doesn't even realize, I'm pretty sure he doesn't even realize until he's like halfway down the stairs, he's like, wait a second, we have stairs again, we have stairs again, and he's so excited. Yeah, you really can't help but, but feel excited for them. Now Larson, do you have a least favorite moment? I know again, this is one of your favorite movies, but is there something here that does not work very well for you, or or what do you think could be better about the Money Pit? Well, I I gave this a lot of thought because you know this isn't my first rodeo with the Tom Tom Club, and I knew that I had to have a, a least favorite moment. And it's not so much that it's a moment that doesn't work for me, but there is the whole aspect of the film where Shelley Long spends the night at her ex-husband's house and the ex-husband the maestro Alexander Gudinov uh, is that his name Alexander I think so Gudinoff? Carl from Die Hard Yes, I'm sure we'll get into his character because we need to talk about his character. But he tells her that they slept together and she's racked with guilt and she comes home and he says, I just want you to be honest with me. Like, as long as you're honest with me, everything 
can be fixed. Everything is okay. That's the main thing. And she wakes him up in the middle of the night and she's like, you know what? I slept with him. It was a terrible mistake and I'm sorry. And all it did was show me how much I love you. And of course, Hank's, you know, he's half asleep and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Great, great. And then he wakes up and he's like, you what? And and it's completely unforgivable. You know, I was I was saying before how like emotions and stubbornness, like that's that's a big thing in any relationship where it's something you have to get through. But this is a big deal and it's sort of like, you know, it's it's the issue of trust. And part of me is like, come on, Hanks, like you told her that honesty was the most important thing and she was honest with you even though it didn't actually happen and you're punishing her for that but it is more complicated than that you know but still it you're rooting for them so much that you don't want to see them go through this and and also the fact that Tom Hanks was just like whatever happened you can tell me because honesty is the most important thing so that kind of bummed me out it, it it's always kind of bummed me out when that happens because again you're rooting for them so hard that you don't want to see them go through this but the movie wouldn't be as effective if they did no I agree like they have to get to a certain level in that argument where it looks like they are going to break up forever and it might have to sort of stretch a little bit like you know their character but I the reason I think I bought it was because of how nuts the house was making both of them you know like they neither of them were really in their right mind uh, at that moment and it was all sort of coming to a big head and so um, while it may have felt like a little extreme out of character like a little out of character or a little more of like an extreme version of their character we got there sooner maybe than we could have um, like it could have built a little more but I still felt like it it worked well enough so but I, I, will, I will agree with that criticism well, let's talk about, before we move on to your least favorite moment, Mike, let's talk about Alexander Gudinoff, Max Bysart, Bysart, the composer in here, uh, you know, Shelley Long's ex-husband in the movie, eventually at the very, very end, composes or orchestrates Ode to Joy at their wedding. He's Euro trash. I mean, that's what they're going for, right? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but yeah, but I feel like he's also, I feel like he's actually not that bad. I mean, he lies to her in that one moment, and that's very bad, but I feel like for the most part, he's just kind of down the middle a little bit you know what i mean well he's he knows exactly he doesn't make he doesn't cast any aspersions as to what he is he knows he's a liar cheat and tail chaser and he tells everybody that and he tells shelly long that and stuff and i mean that whole thing about oh you're i realized you're the one and i need you and all this like she knows that's his act and he knows he's putting on an act and yeah i guess like he's one of those guys he's pretty well written like because uh i find him so smarmy and greasy and hateable that I guess he is a successfully made character in that regard. Well, the the things that really set his character up are when he is conducting the orchestra and he just insults them. And he says, well, the union says that I have to give you a break now. Those of you who have consciousness will not be able to eat. And those of you whose consciences match your skills, gorge yourselves, I hope you choke. Like, such a great line, and, and it, it really sets up how arrogant he is. And, you know, when, when Shelley Long is asking him to lend the money for the house, he's sort of dragging her along to purchase a luxury car, and he's so arrogant. The first thing you see is the portrait of him when they're kicking them out of his apartment, and he's got this portrait of him that really just sums up his character. But in the end, you know, he wants Shelley Long back, but he realizes after their failed night together that she loves Hanks. She loves Walter. And when he shows up at the end, he's like, you know what? Like, you two love each other. Like, I'm not going to stand in the way of that. And that's his big redeeming moment. Yeah, I was pretty surprised that he kind of 
kind of comes to that realization. He's like, ah, I kind of saw it more as like, let him have her. But I guess, you know, it's a little sweeter than that, actually. It's more like, yeah, you know, you could actually tell that they deserve each other or, you know, are made for each other and that he's wrong for Shelley Long after all and that he should move on. And it's kind of sweet that he shows up at the wedding to conduct. I thought that was a nice little touch. Well, I think that it just shows in, in a way in the end that he loves her so much that what he wants most for her is her to be happy, right? And so to both have a beautiful wedding with some beautiful music, but also to marry the man she wants to marry instead of getting his way. So it's a weirdly selfless act for who is ostensibly the villain, unless you, of, of course, count the shirks, um, you know, like Joe Montaigne as sort of a, a little bit of a villain in this movie, but not really. Or the house, yeah, right? Or the I house mean, itself, <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a, you could recut this as a horror movie to a degree where the house is possessed and haunted. <laughs> yeah. Mike, what about you? What is your uh, least favorite moment in the Money Pit? Um, so it's weird, like, I as a kid must have tuned out a lot in the first like 20-30 minutes of this movie up until they like actually reach the house and are being like sold on the house by the by the lady who lives there but I was having difficulty like figuring out what was happening like I was like what is Tom Hanks's job here like what is going on I missed the line about the lawyer when he's reading the letter because there's like a lot of voiceover you know after that very short opening sequence with his dad and then um, he's like working for all these different rock bands I was like what is his what is he doing and so it took me forever to figure out that he was he was a lawyer basically Uh, man most of that is on me I guess for not being able to pay close enough attention but the movie just like is kind of sprinting at the beginning here and I did I did wish after all that they kind of took a little more time here to set up Hank's especially because they do a great job with Shelley Long's character because of the the ex-husband and everything. He's very integral from the opening sequence and stuff. And Yakov Smirnov coming in to like make the announcement that that was a great touch. So I think, you know, in a movie that doesn't have very many flaws, um, for me, it's sort of this little opening 20 minutes or so and defining Hanks's backstory or characters like I get the idea that he owes money and his dad was a crook but I was having trouble sort of just like seeing what he was actually doing for a living and stuff it just you know got me a little confused at the top yeah that's true I always found that confusing when I was a kid but it does lead to some like I love I love the moment where he he goes to the to meet with the manager of the hair metal band and he's like uh all right well here's here's the money i owe you and and the manager says keep it they don't need any more money it'll just confuse them they're used to people stealing from them and uh and hank says why would you do that and and he says because i like you better than i like them and hank says but they're your sister and your brothers (laughs) It's uh, it's great, and and he, one of the bands that he represents is the Cheap Girls, which are just middle-aged men in tea party dresses, and they want to change their name to Meryl Streep, and he's like, I'm pretty sure there'll be some litigation if you do that. <laughs> and they're like, well, how about Debbie Reynolds? Yeah, I thought there were some great bits with all of the rockers and stuff, and I, I liked when he got the loan from the, like the child star. You know, I thought that was <laughs> great. Oh, yeah. Well, if I can just take a second, I have a story there. Sure. When I was in elementary school, there was a kid on our playground, and we everybody gathered around him, and he was telling a story about how his brother was going to be a big actor and how they were going to move to Los Angeles, and they were going to get a pool, and they would be able to swim in that pool all year long. And we were all just like so enamored with this idea that they were going to go off to L.A., and they were going to be a family of movie stars. And a few years later, they moved back that kid's brother was billy lombardo who played benny the young rock star as i described him a 13 year old cigarette smoking italian rude boy yes yes (laughs) and uh and in college i worked at a pizzeria and billy lombardo was the assistant manager there so he made it after all well yeah i guess you know he's doing all right he would regale us with tales of working with gordon willis but yeah i i knew the lombardos i knew Billy, and they were Ramsey's own. Very cool. 
I think, I mean, I've told on other podcasts, I know, especially on the Henry's Crime episode for Keanu Club, but Reddington's own first family, I guess, of acting was the Farmigas. The Farmigas grew up here um, and moved to Los Angeles, I think, or moved somewhere, at least, when Vera hit it big. So we both have a little bit of celebrity in our home, in our backyards, not to brag, because it has nothing to do with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, my, my hometown is also famous for being Danny Aiello's hometown. When Moonstruck opened at the main street cinema in ramsey the marquee read danny aiello in and then moonstruck in tiny letters my least favorite moment and i think we, we i think both of you have already touched on it a little bit is i feel like the whole father subplot about how we enter the movie with this father's wedding right and we get the letter to hanks about how you know all like whatever and then the movie ends with estelle who sells hanks and shelly long the house that they buy gonna run the same kind of scam on hanks's father and i feel like while that's nice filmmaking in so far as it's the bookends and it's the beginning and the end and they both end the, 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 you know the father's at both sides of this it just it feels like a loose end there in a way like i feel like for how important it feels to set up a movie with hanks sort of feeling inadequate or sort of feeling whatever from his father for the dad to basically not be really mentioned or referenced or have any kind of impact for most of the movie other than sort of the financial situation he's in it just kind of feels like a strange way to start this out and i don't think it's like a huge criticism but i've seen this movie once i think before i think i probably watched it with you larson in your uh, in your basement years and years ago because i remember having seen it in in that setting i think so I, I didn't have this you know like real like i didn't grow up watching this movie but so i sort of was watching it with fresh eyes and it kind of felt like it should have been more or should have been a plot line throughout and i i don't i'm not disappointed that it wasn't but i just sort of find it puzzling how important it felt hmm. you know what kind of blew my mind about that is i thought the bookend was the dad is getting married in the beginning and hanks is getting married at the end and i was like oh that's nice like that's cool and then there's the extra scene where it's like what's going on here we're meeting carlos hitler's very own pool boy why do we need this like hanks's dad doesn't really need i don't need to see him get his comeuppance they're not going to do the money pit too and if they do it's not going to star these two and it's not going to be this thread so i agree joey like it was kind of baffling to me i was like why are we going out on this end well i think one of the major reasons of having the the father's storyline in there is that you know tom hanks is a lawyer who represents rock stars he shouldn't be having a problem finding a place to live or or being able to buy a new house but because of the hole his father put him in is is part of the reason why he has to scramble and why shelly long has to borrow money and why he has to borrow money and it raises the stakes on everything. But I also feel like you could just give him another job. Like, he doesn't have to be, like, a rich and successful lawyer. Or everything could have just been done in that letter. Like, you didn't need to meet Hanks's dad and show that he was, like, out there having fun. Like, hey, I scammed my own son, and I'm getting married, and I'm living it up. Like, I guess it twists the knife a little bit more, but I forget about it, and it never comes up again until the very end. And then I'm like, well, that's weird. So I think you could keep the thread, but just, you know, keep keep it as a mention and never show him i think also like you you see the dad at the beginning and he's living in this tropical paradise with this beautiful wife who's half his age and you're like this guy is living the life and tom hanks is living this stressful existence yeah and at the end of the movie it's like well now the dad is gonna have to go through everything that tom hanks just went through so it's sort of sort of like a, a just desserts for the dad. And I, I guess another way, you know, I, I do appreciate that sort of, not irony, but I guess that justification of it all. And I think a thing to kind of give this movie credit for that this movie doesn't necessarily earn on its own in this regard, Mike, is that this is now the second Hanks movie in a row following Volunteers, where Hanks kind of has daddy issues, right? Oh, and yeah. it's now the second movie in a row where the father's not a central character, but is sort of, in a way, leading to his actions throughout the entire movie yeah he's a major catalyst yeah and then both end right with a you know a letter or a whatever to the father right a little callback i was looking at at hanks's filmography and it looks like one of the next few films you're gonna watch if not the next one is a movie where jackie gleason is his father so 
I'm pretty sure the entire movie is going to be about father issues. Cool. Well, come back for either Nothing in Common or <laughs> the next one. Like, there's two in a row that Mike and I don't have a guest for just because no one has heard of these movies. Like, these are, you know... Yeah, and I don't think either of us have seen them. So, too. yeah, so we will, we will yeah. find out there. I do want to give special note to one of the, the finest insults I've ever heard in a movie before, where the permit man calls Hanks a duck fart, which I <laughs> thought was pretty wonderful. Not bad. Another thing about the permit guy, he, he calls the permit guy and almost immediately he says, watch what you say about my mother, as if he called the permit guy's <laughs> office and the first thing the permit guy said was, your mother's a fucking bitch. <laughs> it's like, whoa, you're going to open with that? I mean, I appreciate it on a different level now and I just had a very small amount of work done in my house but like the whole thing about getting the plumber in and getting the contractor in and getting guys who you not just trust but like you know can do good work and you see and just like the crapshoot and just trust the trusting the process and you know just resigning your life over to the idea that things are going to be very hectic for a while and getting used to that is not easy if at all like possible really so all of that stuff with the workmen and the construction really hit me at like a perfect time on it, you know, watching it now. And like, I was just, just dying about how the inflated accuracy of it, right? Like there's so much truth in the comedy of stuff like the permit man and the importance of that and missing it being like, yeah, it's going to take like four more months or whatever. It's just going to tag on so much time and the anxiety of that. Like, I love all of that going on here. There's another thing I noticed that I made a lot of notes on is that every line is is delivered by both of them by Shelley Long and Tom Hanks so well like the comedic acting is so wonderful and it's almost over the top it's almost kind of campy and mugging but it comes just short of that every reaction uh, especially from Hanks you know is so heightened and so like hilarious just the looks they give the line readings they give are are so great and like i said it it could have been too much and i guess if the situation was any less ridiculous than it was it would have seemed too over the top but they're just fantastic although there's one moment at the beginning when they're getting kicked out of the maestro's apartment and Tom Hanks is like, he's back. The maestro's back. And it cuts to Shelley Long. And she goes, yes. And it's, it's almost like they filmed that separately. And they were like, all right, say yes. When they had her coverage, they're like, let's yeah, film this yeah. for a reaction shot to another exactly. bid. And hope that it matches. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, it's so great in everything they do. It kind of reminded me of Clue, where you have so many great comedic actors and like every look, every reaction, even when they're not speaking, is, is just perfect and brilliant. There were two lines of dialogue that, you know, to echo what you're saying that I just absolutely loved. I think they're both Tom Hanks lines. The first time when, when she's playing violin in her bedroom and he goes outside to do a little yard work and he pees and then he sees that cute little note of Estelle and Carlos carved into the tree. And I guess, I'm not sure what he's trying to do if he's trying to cut that out to show her or maybe carve his own name in there. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, carve their initials in, I think. Yeah, right. he's probably trying to put their initials it in. It just feels like there are so many trees there. Do it on another tree. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> but, you know, he jams his knife in to, to cut the first letter and the tree falls falls over and he goes inside and just says, we have very weak trees. And I just love that turn of phrase. <laughs> but then a little bit later, after the, the Shirk's crew of basically bikers and deviants and rough riders come to work on the house, uh, Hank says, I think he's on the phone with Shelley Long, and he says, honey, we're living in a Swiss cheese with a door. And I think that's just another beautiful, like, just holes all over. Um, but, you know, we, at least we got a door. So I just, like, those two lines stuck out to me as some of my favorite little bits of dialogue, especially, you know, like Larson, like you were saying, you know, coupled with Hanks' delivery of those, um, just kind of just kind of great. Yeah, I, I have a whole list of, of lines I wrote down when I was watching it, like, uh, at the beginning when Josh Mustel, the real estate agent, he's like, can you get a hold of $200,000 by close of business Friday? And he says, if I say sell everything I own, maybe I can buy you lunch. <laughs> and when the, the cheap girls are talking about how great Tom Hanks is, and he says, you washed my hair. I didn't forget that. And he <laughs> says, I am sure I did not wash your hair. What has he got that I haven't got? Walls. <laughs> and then uh, when Art Shirk 
played by Joe Montaigne in one of the most famous moments of the film when he comes in and he's very creepily hitting on Shelley Long. He says that she's good looking wool, which <laughs> I didn't even know was a term. Tom Hanks realizes that he is the only electrician that he'll, the only carpenter that he'll be able to get to work on the house. So he's like, honey, he didn't know who you were. And Shelley Long says, I don't know who you are which is great and and then uh, another one of the shirks come over and he's like what can I do to get you to work on this house and he's like you could offer me a drink he says so here it is barely 11:30 you must be parched love it so many great lines so this movie has been this is a, a supposedly some sort of a remake of a movie called Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House from 1948 uh, it was also remade really? as a Swedish movie in 93 and also Are We Done Yet in 2007 I'm not sure if it's actually like a remake remake or just the idea of it coming from the 40s as a remake kind of makes a lot of sense yeah you know that, yeah I like that I'm gonna maybe seek that out and then about I guess six years ago in 2013 NBC announced they're gonna do a TV series sort of a adaptation or a remake of this movie and it, it fell apart it never happened but I feel like this is the kind of thing that you sort of see in a lot of not necessarily movies but also TV shows like there's a new show on ABC now Bless This Mess with Dak Shepard and Lake Bell which the pilot was not great but I got past the pilot and I actually really enjoy the show now and it's not the money pit exactly but it's these two New York yuppies who move to the, the heart of the country to run a farm and part of it sort of feels like money pit in that like things are falling apart they have to figure out how to you know mm-hmm. fix the place up and I feel like it's not that like it's not the premise of this but I feel like the idea of this about you know a young couple in love trying to make their dream work and everything goes wrong you can sort of see all over the place so um, you know I I don't know how closely these remakes are all, you know, how similar the movies are to one another, but I feel like it's the kind of the theme and the sort of the events and such that you sort of see time and time again that work really well. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I think it's the kind of thing that comes up a lot. It's the kind of thing that makes for a good story is to take a, a relationship, a couple, and put them through some sort of adversity and see what that does to their relationship, you know? And and having a house that falls apart is a pretty good trial. So, Shelley Long is great, obviously, here in the lead, but did either of you read or did either of you know who was considered for the, the female lead? Although, apparently, it might have just been so she could make more money doing another movie. Mike, someone very close to our hearts, near and dear, a female lead, actually a lead lead in, in a really early, really great Nicolas Cage movie. Kathleen Turner. You know, I, again, this is all just based on IMDb, so who knows if this is actually true or not. The trivia on IMDb says this was maybe just so that she could make more money to film the Jewel of the Nile, so I don't know if it was actually she was considered here or not, or that she was ever considering to do the movie, um, but that is, she was apparently in the running at some point. Um, and the only other note that I have from the trivia about this movie, that the laugh that Tom Hanks has when the bathtub falls through and shatters on the first floor, the very Breaking Bad ask before much far before Breaking Bad you know bathtubs falling through floors that apparently is used on the Universal backlot there's a clip of him the, the clip of him laughing there is when tour guides joke with the visitors they apparently like pipe that sound effect in so this is a, a laugh that lives on in infamy if you will there are some interesting cameos in this movie um, Yakov Smirnov plays the maestro's like personal assistant in Russia movie watches you yeah like he's actually pretty good like I kind of want well I mean he's got a long running show in Branson Missouri now so I don't think he's going to be doing much else but like i remember you know seeing oh my god what's his name mr vegas he was in uh national lampoon's vegas vacation oh wayne newton wayne newton i've seen wayne newton pop up in a few places and i've a few weird indie movies and i'd be like ford fairlane he's in he's the main villain Yeah, like Wayne Newton was great. Like I wish Wayne Newton had been had done more stuff, and and that's kind of how I felt about Yakov Smirnov in this movie. Uh, also, one of the one of the construction workers, Jake Lamada, who's another '80s guy. He he was body by Jake. Big infomercial in the '80s. He also had a short-lived sitcom called like Life with Jake uh, in the '80s. And another note: there's a scene where Tom Hanks or Shelley Long has to be driven home by a pizza delivery driver who has a Volkswagen Bug covered in blinking lights which I always thought was like the coolest fucking thing ever when I was a kid. And he's listening to a song that goes, I am a pizza, 
I am a pizza. <laughs> da, da, da. And years and years and years later, I met a friend who had a record collection. And on top of her record collection was I am a pizza. And I was like, oh, my God, this can't be the same song. And I put it on and it's it's pretty catchy. You know, it's it's actually a song that's supposed to teach kids French. That's for, for Jaca, Jaca, right? right? Yeah, I guess so. But it's more about like learning how to say the names of pizza toppings in French. Oh, the most important thing to learn. Anyway, check it out. Love it. Mike, any other thoughts about the money pit that we've not covered yet before we ask a couple of really hard-hitting questions about this movie? It was great. Is this your is this your favorite Hanks movie so far? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like as much as I love roles that he's done such as Pardew, you know, and plus we get a nice shot of the two tower, the, the twin towers, and this—I thought a Pardue on top of there. Uh, like I like roles he's played, but yeah, this is by far the best like overall movie that we've yeah. watched of his so far. I feel like uh, there's a full tank of gas in my uh, Hanks mobile right now, and I'm good to go for a couple more movies. You know, I know you know they're not all going to be great. Uh, there's two coming up I've never seen, so that should be interesting. And yeah, but I'm I'm ready to go. I'm sort of been reinvigorated here thanks to the money pit yeah as, as someone who's been following hanks for the memories i've i've kind of been bummed that this first run of films has not been all that great uh i haven't seen many of them but i was like oh they're gonna get to they're gonna get to the money pit and it's gonna be better and i'm, I'm glad i was able to be here for that moment Surely. Well, now, Larson, I have a very important question for you. What would it be like if Tom Cruise was cast in the lead role here in The Money Pit? Oh, geez. Uh, you knew the question was coming, but that does not make it any easier because it is a wild question to consider. Or, to make it easier, if you think that it would not work with him or you can't imagine him in this movie, what role would Tom Cruise play if not the Tom Hanks role? We'll see... This movie is a great vehicle for Hanks because it allows him to be kind of everything that he does well. Uh, exasperated, a lot of physical comedy, you know, a lot of witty repartee. Like, everything is right in Hanks's wheelhouse. Like, there are very few movies that play to the strengths of young Hanks the way this movie does. So it's really hard to picture anybody else in this role. Um, I think that... Cruz could handle the manicness of the character, but I just don't think that he has the comedic chops for it. Mm -hmm. I could see Hanks as a cameo as one of the sleazy contractors, maybe. Cruz as a cameo. I, I'm, I'm sorry, I could see Cruz. But yeah, I mean, I, I think Cruz could handle the role but i don't know at this point in his career he's kind of young i think he is he's about five years i want to say younger than hanks i think if if my math is right but you know they're they both started around 1980 so they're you know as progressed in their career because 86 the same year he did top gun right so maybe he's not of the age to own a house but he's definitely of the age to carry a movie on his own so yeah i mean he'd be a little young for it and i could definitely see him pulling off a lot of the stuff in this movie but you know like i said it's tailor-made for hanks mike what about you do you think that tom cruise could work in the tom hanks role or do you think do you agree with larson that it's not quite a, a perfect fit well i'll tell you what like i don't think cruise then at that moment and i don't think necessarily cruise today he's in a very different mode but i think somewhere in his career he could have pulled something like this off like i think what's amazing about the money pit is well yes i do feel like it feels sort of made for hanks in a lot of ways it also feels uh and like i don't mean this in a in a bad way but there's sort of like a generic nature to it in the sense that you can kind of pluck any not any but you could pluck a lot of great actors into these lead roles and i think it would work it would be very different but i think that the premise is so solid that the jokes you know especially the ones about the construction and stuff like that like are so ingrained just in the idea of the story that it would work well with a lot of other combinations of actors now i don't know who Cruz would play well against but i think i think he could have done it actually it would have been different it might have been more intense i mean he would have done his own stunts right like that we would have gotten that out of it he would have really fallen off of a house <laughs> that's true that could have been cool about it but i'm, I'm gonna go with i'm gonna say to a degree it would have worked 
I'm trying to think now. I don't know that we really ever get Tom Cruise as a family man, right? Like, you know, we talked a lot on both Cage Club and Keanu Club about how as a leading male in Hollywood, there is kind of an aversion that you don't want to be, like, you kind of always want to be the lead, right? And we've seen Cage be a father in a couple of movies and Keanu be a father in a couple of movies. But for the most part, and this is wildly different when we, you know, as, a, as an actress, when we saw for Charlize and such, but... I feel like you often sort of want to avoid that because if you become a family man, you sort of get cast in different types of roles, right? And I don't know that Tom Cruise has ever been that. Maybe I'm forgetting something. Maybe there's one or two here. But it feels like he's always the leading man, the guy that men want to be and that women want to be with, right? And I feel like even this early, even before this, Hanks is like, this is who I am, whether by choice or by personality or what. But I am the man, like, I am a family man. Like, I am the one, like, I'm going to become America's dad, right? And so when we ask that question later, I think the answer to that is yes. But I think in that regard, I don't know that Tom Cruise necessarily fits into this role because we are sort of really, truly seeing the deviation between the two, where Hanks is becoming the family man and Tom Cruise is doubling down on the, you know, the sex symbol, the action star, proto-Ethan Hunt, in a way. That, yeah, I can't argue with that. That's a good answer. I do see that very clearly at this point in their careers, especially now at the money pit where I'm like, okay, this is this is this is the Hanks I recognize that yeah. I was looking for and over on Cruise Club being like, Oh well like by movie two, I know this guy. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. I know Tom Cruise, like, he was ready to go. And I could I could see in like a sitcom like Tom Cruise and I think this would be a wildly different direction for his career, but I could see him as a sitcom dad. Like I think he's got the goofiness that he could do that. But the fact that he has not done that, or at least that we had not seen him do that, or, you know, again, something might be escaping my memory or my mind, but I feel like he could... But because he really hasn't, I don't know that he, he fits here. And I think he could maybe be the Joe, Joe Montana part, possibly. I could also see him as the ex-husband. Oh, the maestro, yeah. He'd be great at that. Not that Tom Hanks is unattractive, but Tom Cruise, I think, by comparison, especially, you know, like, as a sex symbol, um, just wildly different body type. And, like, you know, I think that the, the Euro... The, the, the luscious flowing blonde hair it's meant to be like this glamorous other kind of lifestyle where Hanks is maybe the more you know he's a lawyer right like he's the more conservative more comfortable choice as opposed to this like globe-trotting artist and so I think Cruz could fit right in there and maybe he's too similar in that regard you know the the brunette the brown hair whatever but I think that that could be look what I gave up like this millionaire this beautiful man to just live with this guy who you know is millions of dollars in debt because he's got a terrible father so I think I mostly agree with Larson but I think he could fit Cruz could fit into this movie in a couple different places I think I thought of the one movie that Cruz is a actual father and and it's eyes wide shut for <laughs> of all things is that he's got a daughter with Nicole Kidman in that film but I could be forgetting other things along the way but also bearing in mind eyes wide shut is a movie where they attend an orgy and he almost has sex with a prostitute not to spoil eyes wide shut that's what I no but that's what I'm saying but yes exactly like that if that's the closest it comes who boy not quite America's dad does Tom Hanks in this movie embody becoming or is he on the road to becoming America's dad and I feel like absolutely right yeah I was surprised that they weren't engaged in this like they were just boyfriend girlfriend buying a house moving in together living together kind of thing but well he offers the most unromantic wedding proposal like hey I think we should get married just like laying in bed right like it reminds me of his proposal to Madison when they're ice skating mm. and he's just like you know what marry me <laughs> and she's like wait a minute I'm a mermaid let's take a step back but Larson, do you agree, is Tom Hanks firmly on the road to becoming America's dad by being in this movie? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I've I've said it before and I, I've said it a lot. It's like this this movie is one of the best movies about marriage that there is. At the beginning, they're sort of, they're living a very modern relationship. They're yuppies in the city. They're living together, but they're not married. And they go through all these trials and tribulations together. And, you know, by the end, it's very clear that he's learned a lot about himself. He's learned a lot about his relationship. And he's on his way to being the best dad America's ever had. You know, and, and it's sort of the same thing I said about Bachelor Party, although I think think his character in this film is a little bit more mature than his character in Bachelor Party. But yes, of course, I wholeheartedly agree. Now, dream of a lifetime, you know it's coming next. If you win a walk-on role into the money pit, if you're going to Stan Lee yourself, which I just watched, uh, you know, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode, now on Fridays, because Fridays are for fun, so if you want to watch an hour of plot lines that I 
I've seen every episode, and I don't know what the hell is going on on that show. Um, but you know, if you want to have some fun in that regard, Stanley was just you know in in honor and memory of Stanley on the most recent episode. If you're gonna Stanley yourself into this movie, Larson, where would you put yourself in here? Small role, walk on role, either an existing character or a new character. Where are you in the money pit? Oh well, I mean, I I think this is kind of an obvious choice, but during what I think is the best slapstick sequence, uh, the one where Hanks uh, steps off the edge of the second floor and lands on a board and there's a, a table saw and a wheelbarrow that sends him flying up to the roof and he lands in a, a pile of plaster-soaked rags and he falls down the scaffolding on the back. There are construction people scattering in his wake as he blazes a path of destruction through the house. And I would be one of them. In particular, uh, I always remember there's a female construction worker drinking a beer. And and I guess that was something about the 80s where you could just drink a beer on the job and it was it was nothing. There's a picture of me playing a Little League baseball game as a kid and like the second base coach has a Budweiser in his hand. Love it. And I would just, I, I would like to think the three of us would be sitting on the scaffolding, <laughs> drinking beers, and Tom Hanks blows right past us, and, and, and we watch on in, in horror. But I would, I would definitely be sipping a beer on a scaffolding in between shifts on a warm summer day. I've got no qualms with that at all. I will second that. That'll be my choice as well. I'm happy to sip a beer next to you on a scaffolding while Tom Hanks destroys everything around us. <laughs> um, Mike, do you have another idea, or do you want to join us uh, sipping a beer on the scaffolding? I'll, I'll join you guys, and I will be a construction worker on the scaffolding, but I will reveal uh, my second choice. The other thing that I'd like to do in this movie is um, I would like to be, because they get dropped off by a bunch of different people several times throughout the movie. Like, one time Hanks, I think, gets dropped off by, like, a big rig trucker. Every time they get dropped off, though, and I want to deliver this line so bad, I want to drop them off, and I just want to turn to them and go, are they testing missiles here? <laughs> that's a good idea that's a good one maybe what'll happen is like i'll show up and deliver that line and then we don't see that my character got fired and then the next day i remember oh they're doing all that construction at the house i'll go get a job there and that's where i join you on the scaffolding and then the very first day of my job like all that shit falls down Nice. Or maybe you could be like a uh, a rudimentary North, Rudy North character on Comedy Bang Bang with just a, a dirtbag life swap where you're throat punching people and taking their job. And so you're being a driver to suddenly a scaffolding, you know, construction worker. So, you know, maybe you don't even lose your job. You're just, you know, seeing how fun it looks to, to hang out there, throat punch a guy, take his life and then go from there. So are they testing missiles here is a great running gag. There's two other lines that are running gags in this film. You know, just a classic comedy technique. Uh, one one of them is, the house is going to be great. Both of them repeat that several times as if they're trying to convince themselves. And of course, the other running gag is two weeks. Whenever they ask the construction people yep. when it's going to be done, it's always two weeks. Yeah. So now before we wrap up the show, we have to do our Tom Hanks Awards, the Woodies which we have settled on, coming at the end of the run, late 2020, early 2021, who knows, forever from now, sweet, sweet Jesus. Uh, we have to go through the best and the worst of Tom Hanks' films. I'm going to say, I know there's going to be better stuff to come, no offense, Larson, because I know that you love this movie, I know there's going to be better movies than this, but I'm going to put this in the running, first nominee for best film so far. Yeah, I second that. For sure. And I think it's going to be a contender, too. Like, you know, just because it's early, don't count it out. Now, the question is, is it best role? And I feel like no. Hmm, it's no pardu. I feel like the character is good. I think it's I think it's a situational thing. Like, I think the character is just like, he, he fits perfectly into the madness of this world. But I don't think the actual character itself, you know, Walter Fielding Jr., is one of Hanks' best characters. You know what I mean? Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe you guys disagree, but I don't I don't know that it's necessarily worthy of best role. I mean, he's sort of more of an everyman in this, yeah. and he plays that perfectly, mm -hmm. you know, and it's great. And previously, his characters have always seemed to have more of a distinguishing quirk, more of like an attitude sort of thing with him or something. And I agree, you know, like I think in Volunteers, like even though that wasn't the best movie, that character, like he... he pulled a lot of mileage out of him, you know, from being sort of like this snobbish, white bread, 
waspy guy yeah. who gets dropped in the middle of the jungle and has to fend for himself and use all of his wits and only to learn nothing. Um, <laughs> like That really worked a lot. So, yeah, as, as great as this movie is and as good as Hanks is, like, and no offense to it or anything, but I don't think it's going to earn the spot. Yeah, I mean, I, like I said before, I think this this role definitely gives Hanks it, it's everything that you remember young Hanks as, and and he's at the top of his game as far as his early career goes. He's charming, he's hilarious. Every single line is delivered great. His his takes are are fantastic. But as far as the character goes, not much there. Best ensemble, I'm going to say no, because I feel like it is... There are other characters here, but I feel like it's mostly just him and Shelley Long, um, so I'm going to skip that. Best fight? I mean, they have verbal fights, but I don't think that really fits here. There's not really a physical fight. Would you say that they're best dance scene? Mm. Best party scene? No. Best outfit wardrobe? No. Does not die. Uh, best line, best freakout. I think there's something to be to definitely be here. Uh, Larson, do you have any do you have any personal favorites for the best line delivered by Tom Hanks in this movie, or best freakout, either a monologue? Or- well, I mean, my my favorite line is "You've never passed a bar in your life." Towards the end, but his best freakout in this film, he has two really great ones, and we've talked about both of them already. One is where he sinks through the floor, and his chest is constricted, so he sort of starts to slowly lose his mind. And the other is when the bathtub falls through the floor and shatters on the ground, and he laughs hysterically, sort of like, "How much worse can it get?" Those are both two iconic moments to paraphrase Brian Rodriguez. <laughs> so I, I think either one or both of those belong on, on the best freak out list. I'm going to nominate both of those for the freak out list. Mike, what about, what do you think? I'm not sure if the line, like, I don't know if there's a particular line in here that necessarily lines up with, I am not a fish. How many times do I have to tell you people that? Or <laughs> I am part a holy man. I like both those freak outs. I put both those on the list. But Mike, do you think there's any, is there a line in here that you think is worthy of remembering uh, for all time? You know, it's crazy. Like as, as many great lines and back and forths and all that stuff, like I ended up not really writing any of them down or can't come off the cuff with any of them okay. off the top of my head either right now. Um, which I feel like, you know, maybe there's so many, right, that like none of them land in a spot like to you know none of them really own it right they all sort of have to share it whereas in other movies there's you know not as strong writing perhaps so like those big those other lines like stick out a lot more so I mean like we can't nominate the whole thing you know what I mean (laughs) is I think what I'm trying to say Mm -hmm. so it's hard for me to kind of narrow it all down yeah so I'm gonna skip that best soundtrack theme I'm gonna say no Oh, but I just have to <laughs> comment that when the the song started over those opening credits, I almost lost my mind just just because of like you know uh, the the music that we've encountered in some of these movies and how it tries to set the mood, and it just was just oozing with the '80s. I don't even know, but I was just thinking like Spielberg approved this song and <laughs> things like that, and it was just blowing my mind from the start. Well, the uh, theme song of the movie, the the Heart is so willing, the opening song, which is so oozing with 80s, as you said, is sung by Stephen Bishop, who is a yacht rock mainstay, who's great. And and there's a song halfway through the movie during one of the montages of the house falling apart where it's like anything you would be very catchy song it's sung by a woman i i don't know her name offhand but she's like a a a professional backup singer but she sang the christmas vacation song from the beginning of of national lampoon's christmas vacation so a lot of vacation references coming up in this movie yeah, also covered on Third Time's a Charm yeah. with none other than Brian Rodriguez himself. Oh my god, so many. This is like the the ultimate nexus of the Cage Club Network. Uh, I'm going to nominate Shelley Long as best non-Hanks actor female. Totally. But the last question, best or worst love story? Well, best so far. Absolutely. I mean, they go through the ringer and come out the other side together, right? Like... I think, like, Larson's been saying a lot tonight, you know, like, the whole movie is, like, a metaphor for relationship and the house relating to that and all of the destruction and construction and breaking down and building back up and 
trust and mistrust and finding that connection again and all that. So I think, yeah, I think it earned it. All right. Yeah, there, there's a part at the end, you know, that part where they're both standing there and they're deciding who's going to get the house at the end. And the contractor comes down and he's like, ah, uh, you know, this this old house gave us a lot of trouble. But you know what? The foundation was good. And if the foundation is good, everything else can be fixed. And at that point, I was like, all right, that's a little on the nose. That reminds me of Korg. As long as there's a good foundation, we can rebuild. Yeah. It's like, you didn't have to say all that, but like, you know, we get it now. Well, Larson, thank you so much for being able to join us here on this episode. We've had quite a journey in terms of scheduling guests for this episode. Uh, but we, I'm, I'm so glad that you could join us for the money pick, because I know how much, how much you love this movie. Well, I'm glad it all worked out. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. And you were on, I guess, before uh, the cruise club. This is your first. No, you were on. You were on bachelor party as well. So this is your. Yeah. This is old hat for you. But nonetheless, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it was a pleasure to be here. I always love chatting with you guys. And we with you as well. For all things Hanks for the Memories and Cruise Club and also Monkey Club, all 10 episodes of Monkey Club, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon and Threadless shops or pages or websites at cageclub.me. You can check out links to those places. Come back next week for Rain Man on Cruise Club two weeks from today nothing in common maybe this is the jackie gleason movie maybe it's not we'll find out in two weeks who knows but next week rain man on cruise club and come back in two weeks for nothing in common here on hanks for the memories i'm joey lewandowski and i'm mike manzi and like i said we'll be back in two weeks for nothing in common right here on hanks for the memories Ha 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 ha!